everybody. As we explained with the last episode, we simply recorded way too much audio for the topic of intersectionality part one, gender roles. And we decided to split it up into two episodes, a part A and a part B. We found the best place we could to cut it, and this part B episode that you're about to listen to just jumps right in. Please listen to part A first. Thank you. The way intersectionality plays out in uh, fan fiction, uh, particularly when you're talking about, you know, in this case, we're talking about gender, it's really hard to sort of see it in any kind of explicit way because it's just the way uh, the identities are intertwined and the way. I don't know. I feel it all the time as an asexual reader. I, I'm looking for myself in things and I don't see it because all the stories are not about characters quite like me. One of the things that um, some people have hypothesized might be the reason that there is too much fan fiction centering around men, even though women are usually the people writing the fan fiction. Too much is all relative. But there's such a high percentage of men in fan fiction, which is maybe counterintuitive considering the demographics of the people behind all of the writing of it. Um, some of the hypotheses are that men are more well-rounded characters in a lot of canon and a lot of the original sources that they have a lot more personality and depth and details of their life history and back, you know, yeah, we get a lot more to work with when you're trying to write a fanfic because the whole point of a fanfic is the character already exists. And if you've got a, like some side tiny character that you're writing a fanfic about that, those can be awesome fanfics, but they're a lot closer to original fiction. And a lot of times the beauty and point of fan fiction for a lot of fans is not the same as the point of original fiction. It's they're trying to get the ones that are already kind of fully formed going into it. If you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, the, uh, like, two things in play here. Like, one, the Smurfette principle, which, you know, gets its names from the Smurfs, in which there were, like, hundreds and hundreds of boy Smurfs and one Smurfette. And this raises a lot of questions about how this particular population continues to exist. Indeed it does. But it, it shows that, like, in shows, you know, there'd be, like, the token female character. Um, and all sorts of, of issues. And part of it, though, even today where we've kind of moved away from that, and we're going to say, well, maybe there'll be two female characters on this show, or even three, there's still issues with not getting as much screen time, or not getting as many lines of dialogue. Um, there's issues with, like, a lot of writers of shows are men, you know, it's a male dominated field, I'm fairly sure. Or if not, you know, directors and, and executives, like mostly men. So the ones who are writing the female characters aren't necessarily writing them, um, as well fleshed out or, or like they're trying to, who even knows? Um, and there was another thought, ah, what was it? Oh, yes, the Bechdel test. So the Bechdel test gets its name from this particular comic, uh, and it was specifically, uh, geared towards lesbians, like there's two women, um, and talking about how 
it's hard to form lesbian headcanons, you know, when you go to see movies. And so, like, one woman says to the other, like, oh, you know, she has this test uh, for, you know, movies. And, like, the three requirements are there has to be at least two female characters who have at least one conversation about something other than a guy. And it's really depressing how many movies fail this really simple test. Like, it's like, oh, there's, there's a female character. Oh, there's another one. But they might never even be in the same room together. It's like, oh, there's two. And now they're in the same room together. And they're talking about, you know, the guy. And they don't even have to be talking about a guy in a dating sense to fail the test. If they're talking about, oh, what's the hero going to do to stop the doomsday device? That's still talking about a guy. Yeah, it's still failing the test if that's the only conversation they have or the only type yeah. of conversation they have. And it's a really low bar and it's a very rough test. Obviously, there can be rare exceptions of actually fairly feminist movies that fail the test. And the point is more the pattern, right? The point is more that looking at movies as a whole, how many of them seem to fail this test compared to if there was some opposite test put to place with, you know, yeah. well, men talking about Bechdel. things other than women, right? Is yeah. it called the reverse Bechdel test? Yeah. And most things pass the reverse Bechdel. It's actually really impressive if something doesn't pass the reverse Bechdel. I was like, oh, wow, I will absolutely see that. <laughs> I think She-Ra and the Princesses of Power might pass because off the top of my head, there's only one guy on that show, I love it. So well, okay, so you mean fail or fail the reverse? You're right. You're right. It fails the reverse Bechdel. It passes the Bechdel test. Right. Right. So actually, I think there's actually technically like three guys. Uh, let me think. I'm sorry. I just marathoned this the other day. There's Bo. Admittedly, because I saw the fandom like screaming a lot, and therefore for some reason I was like, well, now I have to know. I love it so much. No, there's Bo, and that's... Oh, and... There's um, Bo, there's... The, the pirate Seahawk, yes. Okay, two guys. And then there, and then there is technically, like, our King Batty Hordak, like... Okay. The but Bella. we don't see him super often. Right. Do so Bo really, there's and, two. Yeah, do Bo and Seahawk... You know, I think they do, because they talk about setting boats on fire. Or is he talking about just setting boats on fire in general? Well, there was definitely some talk of just setting boats on fire in general. But Bo and him do some conversations, namely, namely like, he's really, Bo thinks he's really cool, and then he's saying a sea shanty. Right, okay, you know, the, you know you what? Know, there was some stuff. I forgot cool, about cool. Seahawk. He makes them pass the reverse Bechdel. Okay, but it still passes, like, the Bechdel test with, like, every other sentence. Yeah. So, and it's so much fun for being, I'm just going to wreck this show right now. <laughs> you know what? Yeah, it, it, it's, it's kind of fun. It's very, it's like self-aware enough of what it is and the place of the original source material in like pop culture and society. He-Man and She-Ra. Yeah, it makes it a really fun romp uh, because uh, awesome. it it's just a really fun show. My only issue is that we do kind of. Okay, so this is not really a spoiler, but there's a there's a, a large amount of the show kind of spent on her, like, figuring out becoming She-Ra. 
And they repeat it several times where she's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And there's this part of me that's always kind of like, you don't have to keep saying that. I know. You know what? I'm going to counter that with that might seem apparent if you binge watch it all in one day. Um, Touche. <laughs> secondly, I think there is no there. There is a gradual progression of growth. Like she doesn't keep going back to the same point and forgetting her lessons. She just oh no no she definitely time. remembers the lessons. That was not yeah. my point. My point yeah, is she kind of keeps stating I don't know what I'm doing, and there's a part of it's like I don't need you to say it. I know you don't. Yeah, but you're moving forward, and that's also, good. Also, target audience. Sometimes kids need things to be repeated. Yes, I don't think we this whole Shira thing like. Sorry, guys, for, for making our intersectionality post be, not post, uh, this intersectionality episode has kind of turned into just a feminist gender post. Why do I keep saying post? Sorry. Yeah, you keep saying post. Um, <laughs> it just kind of happened. I want to say other things, too. I, I don't feel done at all. So I was uh, recently um, somewhere where I was asked to pick my favorite canonical ace character. And it's different than asking for your favorite book or story or whatever. It's asking about the character. And I really do, like, gravitate towards characters who are more feminine, I think, or who I relate to because they have some femininity to them and are actually female characters, but they're not, you know. And in, and I noticed that I just you know, some of my favorite characters, the ones that I really just, like, enjoyed were these girly girls, kind of, in these stories. Um, Especially, I picked Alice in Let's Talk About Love when I was picking one. Um, And so she's this black, biromantic, I think 19-year-old ace woman. And (laughs) And she's, like, you know, loves interior design, she loves fandom. She's lo- she loves cute things and has a lot of energy and feminine energy to her. And I don't know. It's it's rare to see that kind of character in Ace fan fiction. I've noticed. It seems like you know in fanfics you don't see that type of character, even when you read as many Ace fics as you can find. But often I end up stuck in the same few fandoms, so I get the same few types of characters. But they're often like Derek on Teen Wolf and Sherlock and very much not uh, that type of ace character. And honestly, I find a character like that a lot more refreshing. I don't know. (laughs) We still haven't talked that much about fandom, and I wanted to get into some of the fandom things right before we get to the Rex section. It's complicated to talk about some of the fandom things, and we already talked a little bit about how there's more... um, women writing fan fiction. Um, But what we haven't talked about is how, you know, ace fan fiction in particular, characters that happen to be asexual or even aromantic in fan fiction, a lot of the characters that end up becoming headcanoned or or just reinterpreted in AU as asexual and or aromantic in fan fiction tend to be men. We tend to have male characters, and occasionally there might be gender swap and other ways to do the male characters, but most often, male characters who remain men are the ones being written about as asexual or aromantic in these stories. It is interesting when you do come across stories who have women as asexual in them, 
Um, you've got the, what, Natasha is a bro trope. You've got mm-hmm. the uh, various types of um, ways that gender and asexuality are explored in fan fiction in maybe subtle ways that people don't realize it is being explored. But usually, I think, gender comes up in these stories, and often, I mean... It it depends on the story, but what do you, have you? Do you guys have any concrete examples in your head that come to mind? I don't have any that have to do with asexuality exactly, but I know what you're talking about. That's a really good point. Yeah, thanks because I was. That's definitely somewhere I was trying to go with when I mentioned, you know, women being the majority writers. It was it was meant to be a short point to segue into like, and that affects how fan fiction's written. <laughs> So, we can keep talking. So thanks. Yeah, the, the Natasha's a good bro is a, a good example because like as one of like the few asexual characters um who's sort of shown and she's often, you know, either Avro Ace or, or an A-Ro A A character. common headcanon in the Marvel Cinematic Universe fandom, MCU. Yeah. Um, is that she's either ace or Aro. And I was, we've sort of talked about her before, though. It's like, that's interesting. Like, oh, she's not a one that I can relate to. You know, like, a, an asexual, you know, uh, Natasha Romanoff is a Russian spy who uses her feminine wiles um, as a weapon. And, like, that's so far from my lived experience. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, was looking for a wreck for uh, this episode, and I stumbled across one story about a character in the Teen Wolf fandom who was, you know, trying to take advantage of being sexually desired to gain power in high school. And I was just like, yeah, what? that's not my experience at all. <laughs> it was, it was, I didn't want to be in charge of high school. <laughs> I mean, she does kind of have a little bit of that air to her character in canon of wanting to rule the school a little bit. You can stretch it in that direction. But, uh... <laughs> yeah, it's sort of... It's probably... A lot of it's probably a side effect of, as you're talking about, um, they're just being... More characters that are more interesting are male. And, okay, let's say 1% of all, you know, characters that are written about are going to be ace. Um, you're going to end up with... Just statistically, there's going to be more male characters being written about. But because there's already so few being written, nah, never mind. Right. So, I mean, in general, though, there's a lot more more examples of fan fiction in my mind where a character or two characters even, maybe, but usually one character is perhaps on the ace spectrum or one turns out to be aromantic, and that character happens to be a guy. That seems to be a lot more common. A lot of times I've found it's a lot easier to find headcanons for guys because women are often written in as the love interest and there's more explicit scenes that disprove them being the exact kind of gray aromantic asexual that I am. Doesn't mean they couldn't be asexual if you stretch it, which is how you get Natasha Romanov using her sexuality as your, you know, things like, but, but when you're written as, um, I mean, she wasn't a love interest per se. She was just written as a spy. But in general, you've got characters who have 
sexual scenes, and so they're probably interested in sex in the scenes, and then you have to make it more of a stretch sometimes to write them as asexual. Whereas if you've got a guy, a male character, who has a lot going on in his life, who's the hero of the story and is too busy to worry about his love life, then you have a lot more fodder for ace headcanons sometimes, <laughs> or arrow ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's related because you mentioned going back to like the MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, and, and comic books, and the issue there with uh, the hypersexualization of women. You know, like women are really, really hypersexualized in comics, and then men will sometimes give like the false equivalent argument and say, well, men are sexualized too, or you know, objectified. It's like they're not really though. Like, the overly muscle-bound... You're talking about the male gaze. Right, right. so the overly muscled, like, impossibly huge superheroes, they're not drawn that sort of muscle-bound way to appeal to a female audience. It's more to appeal to the male fantasy of being that muscular for whatever reason. It's a male power fantasy, you know, to be that, that buff. It's not objectifying them in the sort of sexual way that that female characters get contorted and twisted and some of the artists are just really gross. Right. So you're talking about like boobs and butts in drawings and comics being minuscule anatomically impossible or something in certain cases. Yeah. I mean, where are the organs supposed to go? So, although I don't think I had a larger point except to complain about that. Right. So it's this is a very complicated subject, and we've been all over the place this episode. We're not very organized with the episode. I feel like it's hard. Um, but so you've got a story that you want to write about asexuality, and you try to figure out how to put it into your fanfic based on what you know already in canon and what the readers are going to already know and what tropes people expect to see, and a bunch of other things. And often, the asexuality can come up in the story for the first time because sex is expected in romantic relationships. And it's expected in different ways for different genders. It's expected that a female character might be already very familiar and experienced with sex if she presents herself in a highly sexualized way, which a lot of these characters already do in the source material. If she feels, if she acts confident about like attracting boys and that's like something she's good at in the canon, then of course people are going to expect her to like sex. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but we were talking about that particular type of character Okay, one of the things with looking at at fan fiction and how it addresses intersectionality is that because gender is so present all the time for a lot of people, like, I don't think that most writers are really taking the time to pick apart um, and address specifically how gender plays a role in asexuality. There will just be a character who's asexual and has a gender and it's it's not really um as much focus as other sort of intersections might 
be explored in more depth. That's that was my experience looking at, at what I've read. Yeah, I've noticed that gender doesn't seem to be explored in that many of the fanfic stories, and that a lot of times you'll get female writers who are asexual or non-binary writers who are asexual who write male characters having their own personal experience of asexuality. They'll admit that in the author's notes and comments and not admit, but they'll reveal it. They'll, they'll, you know, disclose it to all of us. Uh, this was super personal for me when I wrote this story sometimes. And, and often it's, yeah, it's a different gendered character than their gender, but they're trying to put the asexuality onto that character. And often that I think even when it's someone who isn't ace writing a story, or when it's not their own personal experience of asexuality, they try to avoid talking too much about the gender because the point of the story was the asexuality, right? So they, they write, they wanted to write a short little story about asexuality this time. And it ends up being just, you know, genders incidental or something. Yeah. When like the reality of it is like, you can't really separate them out. It's true. I mean, we had three different cases right here. I was say, even a lack of gender identity is in some ways a gender identity. Like, it's not like I can separate my lack of gender away from my asexuality. Like, oh, it's not like I'm exempt from this whole intersectionality thing. Like, well, I don't really have a gender, so it doesn't apply to me. It does. It still does. <laughs> right, because all the people who do have genders have a different experience than you. Yeah. That's the point, right? Exactly. Yeah, but we can also point out that we had some similar ones. You and I both had bra traumas. <laughs> yes i mean oh, mine gosh. is so self-induced i feel like i should say something because you know it's saying you know in terms of how supportive my parents were and i said like oh i was so pressured into getting that shirt i never said i didn't like it i could have done that i was like oh i don't know i don't know and like that's how i am about things that i also like and people who know me know this they're like do you want to go see a movie like oh maybe uh you know what one other intersectionality and fandom thing that I've noticed that kind of happens unintentionally, the actors in the TV shows and movies that I watch that I end up reading fan fiction for are very attractive and often white. And even if they're not white, they're very attractive. It is very rare to find the uh, not conventionally attractive actor playing a character so when the asexual character is in the story, they're usually coming from the perspective of very attractive. It would be easy to have as much sex as I want, but... Yeah, like a, their experience is like a desirable person. Right. And so usually writers either ignore it altogether and try not to address that aspect or they'll acknowledge that. There's not like a disconnect and reinterpreting them as not desirable. I mean, there's there's usually this aspect. So I don't usually relate that much to it because I don't relate to the experience of being an attractive, desirable man. Um, but also I don't necessarily feel that desirable in a lot of contexts of my life. I don't wear makeup. I am fat, you know, that type of thing. And you don't see that type of character in fan fiction very often. So that's one of the things where I think intersectionality kind of comes into, into play. Yeah. I have no notes because I'm not a writer, so I can't think of it from the writer's point of view. I just read it. You can still think of it from the reader's point of view if you did have notes. No, it's true. And while 
again, it's true. I don't have a ton of characters I relate to directly. But at the same time, I usually relate more to characters in terms of personality traits. So for me, that tends to be more what I connect to. And I mean, I do. I mean, I do that as well. I mean, overall, personality is the most resonant part of relating to a character or not, probably. Like, the whole how they what their goals are in life, how they're, how they, yeah, their, their values and how they approach problems and how they think about things. Yeah. How um, analytical they are or yeah, how, yeah. Like, that's and a so lot that's the stuff more. that usually connects more to me anyway. So honestly, as much as like, I appreciate characters that are actually like bisexual or something like that, for the most part, I tend to kind of like sit that, almost to the side and I'm like I relate to this person more because of this and that's what I like about them and that's how I relate to them I do find that the more a character is interested in sex and making out and how hot characters around them are and all of that I find myself feeling like I relate to them less and less like I can't just ignore it I don't just I'm not fully able to say, well, their personality is just like me. Sometimes I think I still like the character a lot, but whenever they have the sexual stuff going on, it's really not me. It's some other totally different character than me. You know, I would never be able to relate to them. I don't know. I'm just rambling. But I think in general... you're right. And that is true that there is a disconnect there. And to be honest, depending on the kind of book... Sometimes I kind of skip past that part. <laughs> like, if I know it's going to go on for, like, three pages, I'm like, and we'll just flip three pages ahead. I mean, one of the things I've noticed is I watch a lot of television where um, the really there's certain types of characters that have personalities I actually relate to a lot. Some of the characters that are my favorites or that I really just I have a lot in common with or in general, I'm drawn to for some reason, even if I don't have a lot in common with, but they often are very like traumatized characters and stuff. They'll often have a ton of substance abuse issues on the show, which I do not relate to at all. And then they have a lot of sex, often like indiscriminate sex and sex as a other like escape mechanism. And you know, they're like hypersexual characters. And I, these are like my favorite ones. And then they end up being hypersexual. And I don't even know, I totally do not relate um, to their coping mechanisms with trauma and whatnot. But I still like watching these traumatized characters. Um, <laughs> I think let's let's move on into Rex. All, all right. right, I think we've kind of gone, we've gone all over the map. Let's go ahead and go to Rex. So, I found a wreck for this episode in a fandom. I have a, a TV show fandom that I've never watched. But I was looking for fics that were relevant to the theme. And I actually found, I think, a perfect one. This is uh, the UK TV series Silk, which is a crime drama of some kind. Basically, Silk is about the clothing they wear. I don't know. Never mind. Um, crime drama, British crime drama that lasted not that long. Three-ish seasons, I believe. And a main character is asexual in this short drabble. 
I actually really like this Drabble series. This person did uh, 52 A-spec Drabbles in a year in 2017. This was number eight of their Drabble series. So the title of this story is Half a Man. The author is Andrea Deer. And the story is about not feeling very much like a man after his cancer treatment and having prostate cancer is canon in the show. So he had prostate cancer and he was feeling like his masculinity was kind of taken a hit. And the doctor brings up having sex as a way to feel more manly again. And it's a little fic that explores that from the point of view of someone who doesn't know he's asexual and doesn't know asexuality is a thing and yet is asexual. So I thought it was a well-written, interesting story from the point of view of someone not in the fandom. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my rec. And you can check it out in our archive of our own where we've uh, compiled links related to the episode. Oh man, that just reminds me of other things it's going to say related to gender. And I was like, ah, too. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Uh, regarding the child, the expectation of children, like that's like the asexuals who like some, again, some aces want to have kids. Some aces don't. Um, most of the aces I know don't but that could be very anecdotal you know there don't there do seem to be a lot of child-free aces out there like a really really high percentage um but that doesn't mean that that male aces can't also be pressured to have kids Uh, i think it's just usually uh from within families rather than like all of society telling you that it's a thing that happens but i just wanted to put it out there that like i know at least two aces who are guys who get nagged a lot about when are their parents going to get grandkids. Right. I mean, in general, a lot of aces who don't want kids feel an extra level of frustration at the wanting kids expectation because they're also usually presumed heterosexual and When you're presumed heterosexual, it's presumed easy to conceive a child. And when you're actually not heterosexual, it's a lot harder to conceive a child. Or really, when you're not attracted to the, you know, gender you would, I don't know how you say it. When you're not by, right. When you're not, you know, when you're not interested in sex with the types of people you might be reproductively compatible with and, you know, then things get a lot more complicated when you're a type of queer person who is just not interested in that type of sex, then even if you wanted one, it would be hard. And so (laughs) when you have the double, double whammy of not wanting kids and it wouldn't be easy, even if you did, then society or your family or whoever's pressuring you, it gets it gets so much more of a mess. <laughs> For the record, I have an answer to this problem. I was it is very easy. My mother actually solved this problem. Because my grandmother is one of those people who used to constantly ask my mother, when am I gonna have grandkids? So one time while they were driving, she posed this question to my mother again, and my mother said if you want grandkids that bad, I can walk into that bar right over there and get you some right now. 
and she stopped asking. <laughs> wow. That's that's my mother is, my mother is amazing. Yeah. How would that get grandkids though? No, so the point was if you're that, a woman and you walk into a bar to find a guy. Yeah, that no, was but, that was before KK was born. KK is the grandkid. Way before I was born. Okay, but before you were born, that was the key thing because I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> that only works if you've got a uterus." Shh, it's okay. Don't think about it too much. It's okay. <laughs> right, it worked for KK's mother because KK's mother had a uterus and has yes. a uterus. Yeah. Uh huh. So, <laughs> uterus helps. As we, the sentences I didn't think I'd say on this show. Um, so I think we should move on to someone else's rec if we're, uh, uh, for my rec, I didn't really pick one that was all that relevant to this topic. I instead decided I wanted to do one from the troll hunters fandom just because that's like my biggest and yeah, it's my only fandom at the moment and I've been in it for a while and I'm like, oh my goodness, I don't even know if I mentioned it that it's like my current fave show. Um, so I was like, I should correct this and wreck something. Um, so, well, also, I guess I could just wreck the show. Like, we're a kind of small fandom. We would love to have more people. It is a beautifully animated example of the teen superhero genre, if that's a genre you like. Um, it sort of breaks some of the, the stereotypes. It does a lot to sort of it doesn't deconstruct toxic masculinity, um, but in terms of like the you know like teenage boy protagonist is shown to be really nurturing and like cares about his mother and is expressive of his feelings, um, and that's just a, a beautiful dynamic. Like the mother son dynamic is just so much joy to watch. So, so the masculinity is not toxic in the hero yes. of this show. Yes. Exactly. No, it's a very, I guess you could say, like, open to different kinds of, like, character show. So you've watched it, KK. I have. Rest in peace, Anton oh, Yelchin. I've not mentioned it, and so that's how you, oh my goodness, I found someone else who's watched it. That, like, never happens to me. <laughs> For the record, I am not up to date, so no spoilers. You two have a lot, you two have a lot of fandoms in common, I've noticed, we by the way. We really do, but to be fair, I just have a lot of fandoms in general, so it's usually not hard for me to find something. Okay, well, I picked, I deliberately picked one that doesn't have any later spoilers because there's a couple of doozies out there. Um, so this is What Am I? A Crispy Dragon by I'm the King of the Ocean, uh, which is, uh, separated by underscores, so I'm, and you guys can figure it out. Um, it is about Jim, who's the main character, uh, figuring out that he's asexual, and it's a really nice, just heartwarming, feel-good story about figuring yourself out at that awkward time of your life when everything's just really confusing. Alright. Oh, I should say, it's also part of a bunch of Pride Month thicklets that were written uh, last year. So there's like over a dozen of these little stories that explore a lot of different um, gender identities and uh, sexual orientations and combinations of orientation and identity, like a lot of intersectional stuff. Uh, so it is, you know, if there's other things uh, you know, worth checking out. but 
watch out for the spoilers because there's a couple of them that are kind of spoilery even in the description and I, like, not going to say anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. So weirdly enough, uh, I actually don't have a fic to recommend this week. I have a book I'm going to recommend. So I ran into a similar problem of not being able to really find a fic that really kind of encapsulated our subject for this week. And so I actually decided I wanted to wreck a book that I read a while ago that was actually really interesting to me because it actually takes kind of a look at women's gender roles and how it's kind of come about. And so the woman who wrote this is actually a psychoanalyst and she looks at it by looking at myths and stories of basically the wild woman archetype. So basically looking at this kind of woman that's been kind of a race that's been kind of that's kind of become an endangered species because of the pressures and different things society has kind of set up for uh, for the females in the world. It's called Women Who Run with Wolves, and it's done by Clarissa Bola Estes. And honestly, it's full of just many different kinds of stories that she's come across in her studies and in her life because she comes from just a history of being told stories and holding on to these stories and carrying them with her. And honestly, when I was reading it, it was so relevant to me. And to this day, I find myself thinking a lot about it because of just everything that's going on in the world. And even just stuff that happens day to day where it's like reminds me of kind of what she talks about and how the way she phrases it and how women have been like, cut up and even muzzled to kind of become this image that they want us to be. And honestly, I love this book. I should note, though, it was published in 1992, weirdly enough, the year I was born. And uh, therefore, it does mainly talk about women in like the cis-het kind of frame of mind. But that also has to do with kind of where the myths are kind of looking at it and stuff like that. So very interesting. Highly recommended. It's over 300 pages. Nice. And now you've paved the way that I might uh, not wreck fan works in the future now that I've read all these novels with ace characters and stuff. I don't know. Yeah. For the record, I've, I've, frankly, if we have books to wreck, I think we should always because reading is a wonderful pastime and people... <laughs> I don't think we should always because some people prefer fan fiction over... Like... <laughs> Like I love books, I love reading, but I read- yeah no I I think I think this is a fandom and asexuality podcast. So ideally, the wreck should have something to do with fandom or asexuality in the vast majority of cases. Um, like we can we can absolutely wreck books, and we can continue to do that going forward. But I don't think we need to prioritize books over fan fiction. Priority because this is something that happens like in real life. Is people always prioritizing books over fan fiction? as if one is inherently better than the other when I'm just grumpy. All right, let me put it this way. I both love fanfic and I love books, but admittedly, I adore the feeling of holding a book in my hand. I love turning pages and stuff like that, and I do not have the funds to print out all the fics in the world to read. Fair enough. Do you know how much ink that would cost? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I once had dreams. I don't Are you familiar with... Uh, Bathara's Embers, or Bathara, I don't know how to pronounce it. Possibly. It's in the uh, Atla 
Um, no, we're not all familiar. Not all the listeners are familiar. What what are we talking about here? It's a, a fic for Avatar The Last Airbender called Embers, and it's really long. Like, I think six or seven hundred thousand words long. Wow. It's a giant epic that has, like, really really intense world building like she shows her bibliography at the end of the chapters and it's all like really very academic books and things are like so researched and it it deals with i mean it creates like several hundred years of extra backstory for the show um and then it also like emphasizes the culture clash like and sort of looking at how maybe there isn't a thing as objective morality because Everything is, like, based on your society and your society values. And then the kind of feedback loop of how different, like, even just, like, the landscape and the resources available to a developing civilization will impact their value. Anyway, yeah, it is. But again, it's, it's like, super long. And I started reading it when it was still, like, 20,000 words. <laughs> And it updated every two weeks, which is, like, just an insane amount of pace to keep. But anyway, yeah, so it was easy enough to get into it when it was, like, it wasn't that long. And I had no idea that it was going to grow and keep going for, like, several years. Um, but it's basically, it's like, I've tried to, to go back and reread. Yeah, like, go back and reread it a couple of times since it finished. And I just haven't been able... To get, I've gotten like a couple hundred thousand words in, and then I get distracted with other things. So I guess it's it's just gonna be a life event. Like yeah, reading this thing is is like uh, it's basically a life event. But oh yeah, no, the reason why I brought this up um, was that it was like a dream back when it was only like sixty thousand words. Like hey, maybe I'll print this out someday and like bind it myself because you there's like DIY tutorials online for doing that, you know. Um, and now it's just too long to do that because, again, it's, like, longer than Lord of the Rings. I don't think it's quite as long as the entire Harry Potter series, but it might not be far off. So, yeah. Wow. Uh, but I do recommend it. I don't, I've tried to reread it a couple of times since, but it's so long. How could it I'm not reading something that long. I'm sorry. That's not on my yeah. to-do list. It's just too long. It's kind of a life event. <laughs> it might be added to my list, admittedly. <laughs> um. Okay, so to wrap up this episode, we will tell you how to find us online. Per usual, you should find us at Ace Chirper Tweets on Twitter and email us at aceterpretations at gmail.com we also haven't mentioned this in too many of our episodes but we are on itunes and it would really help us reach a lot more listeners if you find us on itunes give us a five-star review it doesn't matter much of what you say but the more five-star reviews we have the more our show might be uh shared more widely so please thank you we really appreciate it yeah i iTunes has an algorithm, so like, that's how that's how podcasts get spread. It's just people giving five stars. Please, please help us out. Thank you so much. Thank you. And remember, you can always send us emails with questions and stuff like that. Just feel free to contact us. Yeah. 
Yeah, we we are really we we'll welcome constructive criticism, suggestions, ideas, thoughts, compliments, <laughs> and and of course questions. We are happy to try to answer. Um, this episode, we're going to make an additional plug. Uh, we would like to cover uh, as part of this sort of intersectionality series to cover race. Being three white people, we are not really qualified to talk about the experiences of people of color. Um, so if you would like to write in uh, with your own experiences or even be a guest on the show, please contact us at any of the above social media platforms. Yeah, we're planning to hopefully have multiple guests, if we can find them, willing to talk about being being non-white and being asexual. Yeah. and. In general, in the future, we ha- might have various other guests on, but this is one particular topic where we feel like it would only be fair to have some other guests on. We can talk about some of this stuff on our own, but it would be probably just a better episode in many ways with some other people on to talk. A big thing with marginalized groups is like not getting to speak for themselves and having their voices be silenced or written over. So it's like, not just in terms of content, we'd have a better episode, but just foundationally, yeah, it, ethically, it would be a yes. It would be a morally better episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely um am well aware of the issues there. I don't know how to phrase it, I guess, but uh, yeah. No, that that's about right. Again, we just don't have that experience, and we'd much rather it be a good representation of that. Like much rather, like we're not gonna do it if we can't. It's true. Thank you in advance for reaching out to us if you fit into that category because we really feel like we can't really do the episode without you. So thank you. Um which which isn't to say that there won't be another episode until this happens. We will just talk about other things. <laughs> yeah, we don't know when we'll do that episode. We 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 will take our time to find the right uh panel voices. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Voices. Um, so, all right, so that's our show. This is Love the Heaven signing off. This is Quartic signing off. This is KK signing off. Thank you guys so much for being here. Please join us for our next episode, which will be on the topic of sex and other forms of intimacy. 